Hallelujah. Are you yet to hear the Lord's word? Amen. Who's still hungry for God's word? Yes. It's the only thing that will sustain you. It's the only thing that will last. It stood the test of time, and it's so wonderful. And my heart is still overflowing. I'm still hungry for the word. Every time I stand before the Lord, I say, open up my eyes, Lord, so that I can see your word, the wondrous things. And I want to say to you, my friend, your life is not long enough to understand the depths of God's word. Every time that I think I know all, I hear something new. Isn't that right? And every time that I study the word, the Holy Spirit up something new. I mean, in this morning, the way that Brother John gave the word over the table, that scripture just stood out for me. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. When he's lifted up, just stood out for me. I've preached over those, that passage so many times. But just this morning, when he, when he said those words and he read it out of the word, friends, I tell you now, I can just read the word for you. I don't have to preach. You don't have to come here to listen to my opinions. You just open up the word and the word will do its work. It is alive, it's powerful, and this is how we need to see it and live with it, amen? So again, we turn this morning to the letter that we are studying, 1 Peter. Who's already bored of the book of Peter? No, we can't never be bored of the book of Peter. There's so many things in there. I can preach a whole year on the book of Peter and start the next year from chapter 1 again. Yes, I've heard a, I've heard a story of a preacher one day in South Africa, he said to another preacher, he said, this book becomes so thin, I don't know what to preach anymore. I want to suggest to you that he doesn't preach the word, he preaches opinions. And we can't preach opinions, we stand on the word of God, it's my strength, it is the power. So let's turn this morning again to 1 Peter, and we're going to spend some time again in verse 13. Last week I started talking about being holy. You remember when Peter writes to these people who are, who are in trouble, who are persecuted. He tells them to walk in what? In hope. To walk in a living hope. In the midst of their circumstances, he said there is hope. Let me tell you, the worst place you can be on this earth is not without money, is not without clothes, is not without food. It is to be hopeless without God. That is the hopeless place you can be. If you haven't got God, you've got nothing. And uh, he writes to these people who lost a lot of things. And he says, walk in the living hope. And now he's focusing a little bit more on the outward. Living hope. Where's faith? Faith is based on the inside, isn't it? You can't walk in here and say, look at my faith. Hey, just, just have a look at you. Gee, look at that. That's my faith. Can you do that? No. Faith is on the inside. How do you see faith? In actions. Isn't that right? You see it in actions. You see somebody who's faithful, standing in difficult times, but they stand strong in the Lord. Faith and hope is the reward for faith, and hope is for the future. Faith is now. I believe now in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is not like a jacket which you took out and you put it in the cupboard and say, tomorrow, tomorrow jacket I'll wear you. Or when I feel like it, I'll wear you. Faith walks with you. Faith is ingrained in you, and faith is now. I believe in Him now, and I believe that through that faith, it gives me hope for the future. You should shout hallelujah. You should shout amen. 
That is what it is. Hope for the future. But now he turns and he looks on the outside. He says, now that you know that you walk in this difficult circumstances that you are, you are now going to walk in holiness. This is what he touches, the outside now. Now look at verse 13. He says, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask what for. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to read before, therefore. We've spent how many weeks now on the therefore? Before that, walk in a living hope because of the salvation which is in heaven, guarded by the power of God, eternal life. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Think about that. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts, as in your ignorance... But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Who loves the Word of God? That is the most beautiful things that you could have heard this morning. Forget the news when you tuned in this morning on your radio coming here. Forget that radio station that you listen your music on. These are the most beautiful things that you've heard this morning. Now let's thank the Lord for that. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I want to take a back step and let your word speak through me and use me as an instrument. Father, I rely heavily on the Holy Spirit to help me today to preach this word. In my own power, I can't stand here and preach this Father, to these people. But I pray, Father, that through Jesus we can do all things which are possible. And Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And I pray now, Lord, let it accomplish what it's been purposed for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk to you about to being called to be holy. Peter called them to walk in a living hope. And now he calls them to be holy. He says to the people here in Karam Down, to you, to me, he says to you and me as he said to them, and he's calling us to be holy. Think about that. And if you were here last week, I took you on a a trip to show you this holiness that he was talking about. This is not talking about a sinless perfection, which some people preach. This is not asking us to do a lot of more works to become holy and holier than thou. Although there are a lot of people walking around like that. It is as if there's a halo around their heads and they are five centimeters lift from the floor and they just go through life like this and everybody needs to bow down before them. This is not that call. This is a different call that Peter calls them to be. He says to you and me today, be holy. So what does that mean, we may ask? There's, there's three ways that he's going to show us in our passage this morning of how to live this way. Three ways. He's going to tell us morning, this morning to be prepared. To be prepared. Then he's going to show us to be obedient. 
and then to be holy. He calls us to these three things. Christian, children of God, be prepared, be obedient, and be holy. It's a clear message that Peter gives us. So let's look at this. He says, first of all, forget this now, that should have come in later, but he says, first of all, 1 Peter chapter 1, 13, therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Now this is an interesting thing he says, isn't it? But if you think about when he wrote this, back in the day, people didn't walk around like me with long pants and with a suit and so on. But the clothing back in the day was looking like that. They had these long dresses type of clothing on. And still in some parts of the Middle East, people are, men are wearing these, these kind of clothing. Isn't it right? I mean, Janelle came back from India and he gave me one of those. And I'm just losing more weight, Janelle, and I wear it someday, brother. I'll fit into it someday and I'll bring it in here and I'll wear it and show the people, okay? But in some parts of the world, people are still wearing this. Now he uses this example when he talks about the mind. This is so clever. Because they will understand when he says, gird up the loins. So these men, when they were clothed like that, and they couldn't run like that. I don't know if you've wore some of these clothing, but if it's like that, you can't run really fast. You can't lift your knees to high. I mean, I've got a Sulu, okay, which I got in Fiji, which I sometimes wear. You can't run too fast with it. And these men had a way then, if they go into war, if they had to run really fast, they would gird up their loins. They will pull this up as shown there in the picture to not show their legs, although that's a little bit of a hairy legs there, but don't forget about that. But it will show their legs and it will free up the legs to be able to be prepared for anything. He uses that picture when he talks about the mind. So that they could put the two together and it can give them clarity about what he's speaking about. So what is he saying? He says, prepare your minds for action. Let me tell you, my friend, the biggest war that's going on right now in the world is not the war in Iraq. Did that shock you? It's not the war in Afghanistan. It's not the war with the Muslims or the whatever. The biggest war today is the war between your two ears. It's for your mind. That's the biggest war. Because if I can control your mind, I can control your body. If I can take you on a, on a journey with your mind to follow me, you follow me with your body. And this is why so many people in the world today are doing this. It's a battle for the mind. And here Peter turns to these people who, who are in a difficult situation. They just heard that they have hope, but now he, he wants to prepare them. He says, prepare your minds for action. In other words, gather your thoughts. Do not let them fly loose. And that is important to realize and to think about. Don't let your mind fly loose, your thoughts. And it happens so easily. There is so many influences from the world today for your mind. And as I say again, they just want to capture your mind. It's been shouted off the TV screens. It's been shouted off the billboards. It's been shouted out of your radio stations. People, ideologies, ideologies, they, they bombard it in through your ears, through your eyes, into your mind to control your mind. They 
they do propaganda. They say something which is a half-truth as if it is the truth. And, and people are gobbling it up. They're eating it up. And you know, sooner than later, you see people doing things with their bodies, and you say, I just can't understand why these people are doing the things they are doing. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you follow the Word of God, and if you see what Peter says here, I can understand why they're doing it. Why? Because their mindset is wrong. Now, let's bring it one step down. Why do people conduct in sin? Why do people do things which is morally wrong, and they know it's morally wrong, but they still do it, is because their mindset is not prepared. It's loose. It flies all over the place. I mean, Paul writes the same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. When Paul writes to Rome, Peter writes it here to the dispersion, Paul writes it to the church in Rome, and to us here in Karam Downs, when he says, and do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. My brother, you said it this morning, you were driving past on a Sunday morning coffee shops, and you see our hundreds of people are sitting there. Why are they not in the church? Why are they not following Jesus Christ? Because they are conformed to this world. Small things came in, and it became a habit, and it became a lifestyle. And now people living according to the lifestyles, and now they want to take the lifestyle and change the Word of God to adapt to their lifestyles. Now we have to rewrite the Bible. But praise the Lord, it says, yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same, and His Word will last forever. This is what happens. It's because people are conformed to this world. There's, there's so many things that want to conform you because the world is after your worship. Because if the world has got your worship, my friend, it's got your pocket where your wallet lives. And it's after your money. And it's after your time. The biggest thing that you can lose is not your money, it's your time. God gave you time, 24 hours in a day, 7 days in a week. 360 days in a year, and you are counting it off every single time when it's your birthday. What do you say? I was 35, not me though, I'm a little bit older than that, but I was 35 and now I'm 36. And what, where did you get that from? From God. He gave it to you for free. Think of that. Did God put a penny mastery out there? He says, every time it's your birthday, you need to pay me a ransom. Did He? No, He did not. He gave you time for free. But you see, the world don't want to give you time for free. He wants to grab your time, and He wants you to pay for your time. That's what the world's doing. And people are gobbling it up. By the thousands, they are going to lost. And I can dig more down to that and become more granular, my friend. What is occupying your brain right now? What is occupying your thoughts right now? Is it to the glory of God or is it to exaltation of self? And here he says to us, gird up the loins of that mind of yours. Paul, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Now he says a word that he says, but, what does it mean? Sharp contrast. If you're not going to be conformed to the world and follow the lust of the world and chase after the world for, for riches and fame, if it's not going to be that, what is it then, Paul? He said, but be transformed 
There's two different words here. He says, be transformed. The Greek word for transformed there is metamorphai. What is the English word? And what does it mean? To be completely changed. That's what it is. It's not just a change. You see, people want to follow Christ today. While they're conforming to the world, they still want to follow Christ. But metamorphosis means it is a totally change over. If you're going to do the one, you set the other one aside. You see, there's so much more in this when, when Peter comes to these people and he says, gird up the loins of your mind. There's so much more behind it. And here Paul opens it up. He says, if you're not going to be conformed to this world, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need a new mind. Come on, say it to them. He says, the renewing of your mind. In other words, this old mind ain't going to do it anymore. Listen to me. When you, when you were born like little Michael, they will go to school. From the early ages from the early ages of life, the world will try to conform that little boy's mind to follow the world and to pay for the time that God gives free. That's why we all need a new mind. The old mind is a sinful mind. The new mind is freedom in Christ. The old mind is under bondage. The new mind is free in Christ. The old mind is shacked in chains. The new mind is free in Christ. What, what do you want then? Do you want, do you want bondage or do you want freedom? And here he says it so clear. He says by the renewing of your mind. Why? Why then Paul? That. I love the word that there. You see it's the small words that makes a difference in the Bible, isn't it? And here you thought it was going to do those big theological words like redemption and justification. No, no. The small things means a lot. He says that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now look at this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this now. Being conformed to the world, will that make you do good things? No, I think the newspapers are full of that. Will it, make, will it be acceptable to God? No. And then, will it be the perfect will of God? It is, look, this world ain't telling you to walk in the will of God, is it? I walk on the stage of this world. You can ask me. I know what the message is out there. You are good in yourself. Just look inside. I won't open my bed. Just look deep inside of your heart and see if there's any good in there. Find the good things and work on that. No, no. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here Peter says it to them beautifully. He says, gird up the loins. I love it when he do it like that. The picture he gives there is, you need to now. You know, we say a saying, we say, pull up your socks. That's kind of the same thing that he says to them here. Gird up the loins of your minds. We must think different from the world, brother and sister. We must. Now, the behavioral scientists discovered that human behavior is determined greatly by the subconscious mind. This is nothing new. This is not shocking. Do you know that you've got a subconscious mind? Do you know that? If things lie long enough, on your front cortex and into your cortex mind, and you keep on dwelling on those things, it sinks into the subconsciousness. And you are controlled by that subconsciousness. 
Hence, from young age, the world has got a battle for let me Let me say, when I talk about the world, I want to bring another word in. Satan has got a battle for your mind. He's got a battle for your mind. And it starts young, because the socialists say, give us, give us the youth and we control the country. Give us the young people and we'll take over your country. And these people, they discovered this. You know how it's easy to say, garbage in, garbage out. All right. I've got a garbage bin at home, have you? So we take normally the garbage and we throw it in there. Now, do I find you going when you're hungry on a Saturday evening to the garbage bin and open it up and dig in there? Do you? So why is it that the world then put all of this garbage and googly goo into their brains, through the TV, through everything out there, and then when they open up their mouths, it's all garbage coming out. Why then do they expect me to eat that garbage? You won't go to the garbage and to the tip to get your food. Yet, garbage in, garbage out. It's just how it works. What you will spend your time on, which God gives you for free, by the way, the world wants you to pay for that time. You say, explain that to me. Well, he gave you time for free and you're paying for all of these channels to watch all of these garbage. You are paying for time. You're going to sit in front of that thing for four hours and you're paying for it. Let's be honest about this, yes? Garbage in, garbage out. Yet here he says to us, come on, come on people, gird up the loins of your mind. Let me explain to you people that you're in trouble, you are persecuted, there's difficult times coming. You will have to be having a mind that's prepared. Watch out what is coming in. Now the question is, how then do I keep this place clean? How? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, you can always shut your eyes, put some, some sticky tape over it, and put some plugs into your ears, but you won't have a life, will you? You won't have a life. That's not what God says. No, no. How do we do this? And again, I love it when Paul writes to the church in Philippians. He writes these words down, which if you've got a Bible, and by the way, I want to suggest that you bring Bibles to church, because at any stage I might open up a scripture which is not on the board. I don't want to make you lazy. I just want to say that, okay? I want you to study your Bible and open up and work with it. In Philippians 4 verse 8, look at this. He says, finally, again, do you see the word finally there? What does finally mean? Finally. It says at the end. Now you need to, if you see words like finally, you need to go and see what's written in front of finally. I'm parachuting into Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, but there's four chapters. Four chapters that you need to read before you come to the word finally. Which we haven't got time now to read through. I'm saving you time. But he comes to them and he says finally. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, think of this. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, what do you need to do? 
Meditate on these things. What does meditation mean? You think it over and you talk through it. Now let me ask you the question, after you've heard that, will you find that in the newspapers? Will you find it in your novels? All these things, that will, that will be good things coming in. And if good things comes in, what comes out? Good things. Garbage comes in, what comes out? Garbage. So this is how we start changing the mind. Let me first say as, as well, when you come to the cross of Christ and you bow and you repent of your sin and He saves you, He gives you a changing of your mind. That's where it starts. That's what repentance means. It's, it's, I think like God, think about my life. So let me first say that. But now what happens after I've come to the place of that, I stop getting rubbish in and I start meditating on these things. So He says, first of all, be prepared by girding up the loins of your mind. Are we going to do it, church? Now, the second thing he says, be sober. This is how we prepare our minds. He says, gird up the loins of your mind, but then he says, be sober. The Greek word he uses here is the word nipo. And nipo means to be calm, to be collected, to be self-controlled, and to be steady. Think about that. He says, be sober. It means an abstinence from wine or strong drink. Though, he uses that just the same way he uses the picture of the clothing to say, gird up the loins. He uses the picture of intoxication. But that is not how he applies it to this passage. He's not saying to them, you Christians, you are, you are drunk 24-7. Uh, That's not what he's saying. He's not against alcohol preaching here. He uses that example because people will know that if you're intoxicated, it affects your brain, isn't it? It affects your thinking. It affects everything. He uses the word there to bring something onto them. So it's more than that. It's an implication here is that your mind needs to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not intoxicated with the things of the world. That's what it means. It doesn't mean, oh, you know what, that doesn't fit me because I don't drink. Ha, oh, hey, look, Peter, I'm all there, man, I'm sober. That's not soberness in the flesh. He talks about the mind. Remember, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Constantly thinking about these things. Be under the Holy Spirit and not intoxicated by the things. So who knows that the world's got a message that intoxicates it's all over you. I can go into examples which will make you mad. But I've got still half of the sermon to preach. So I'll keep you on there still. Now this is what it is. In 1 Peter, he says the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. He says, be sober. He uses the same word there, nepo. Be nepo. Be vigilant. Why? Why then, Peter? Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. So that's why you need to be sober thinking. You know, somebody who's sober is somebody who's always on the lookout. Your reactional time is much faster. Again, I take you and I uh, compare it to somebody who's intoxicated. The, that's why they say, do not get into a car when you're intoxicated. Why? 
Because we don't like it? No. Why? Because it saves lives. Why? Because your reaction is so much slower. So to get your mind and, and the, the loins girded up, to be ready, to be aware, you have to be sober as well in your mind and to be looking, not be intoxicated by the things of the world. Why? Because this little guy here, this dude, the devil is after you. And if you're not going to be sober, you will not acknowledge and see his attacks. This is why it is so important. And then, how are we prepared as well? He says it further. He says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace. Rest. You see the word rest there? What does it mean? It means like you sat in that chair. What happened? When you sat into the chair, you went, ah, oh, relax. Okay, this is what he says. Rest what? Rest this hope that you've got. Rest it in what? Fully. I love it. You see, there's another one of those big theological words. What does fully mean? Are you fully sitting on that chair? Is your full weight on that chair? I don't see anybody sweating here or grins on their faces while they push these muscles in their legs. Going, I need to keep this up for an hour now. You're fully, you're fully sitting there. This is what he means by that. You're fully Rest upon what? The grace. You see how he says the word grace? That means that that which we didn't deserve, we get. What did he give us? He gave us rest. And now he says, if you want to be prepared, put all of that, that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean, what he says here? Rest your hope upon the grace of God. It means people don't do this. It's often pessimistic, negative, complaining, whining, grinding about the world caving in upon them. Because what's the opposite of rest? Active. Restless. I like the word active because it's a struggle, isn't it? If you're not at rest, you're struggling. I can prove it to you. I, I don't think everybody will last. But again, I want to take the chair. Example. You're sitting really nice now. If I take the chair around and I say, take the same posture that you have on the chair, you're going to be like that. Now you're active and you're struggling against where you want to be. And this is where negativity comes from. And this is where pessimism comes from. Is there a word like that? Pessimism comes from. Just checked if you were awake, my brother. But that's where it comes from. You see, if I listen to people complaining and moaning and everything, every single day, from Monday to Sunday, you, it doesn't matter what happens. There's pessimism. Oh, the world's going to go. Oh, it's going to go. Oh, it's going to Negativity. There is always strife in these people's lives. Always strife. And strife is the opposite from rest. See how important it is what he tells them. He says, I know. I know, people, you are 
persecuted. He writes this to the persecution. I know they are struggling. They are after you. I know they want to kill you. I know, I know you lived in a wonderful place down there and now you've got to run away and live in Cappadocia. I know where you were, there were no bucks at night. But now you are sleeping in the field and there's bucks and they sting you and you slap them all over and you go, oh, what an awful place. What a warning. You You know what? Tomorrow we can get rid of the bucks. There will something else that will make you negative. Oh, the sun is beating so down. Oh, man, it's so warm. So we take away the sun. Oh, now it's too cold and too dark. There is no rest for a pessimistic guy. There is no rest for a negative person. No rest. And this is what he says. He comes to them and he says to them, rest your hope. Don't. Faith is for now. I believe in Christ now. But your hope is eternal life with God. Rest in that. This is only but a short life. And yes, there's a little grain in your shoe and it irritates you. Yes. But I can take the grain out and then your shoe is going to be too loose. You see that it just can I can continue on with this, but I think you get the point. Be prepared. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, be restful in the grace of God. Now he's going to turn to them the second thing. He says, be obedient. This is how we need to live, you and I. This is how we need to live. Let me ask you, have you girded up the loins of your mind? Are you sober? Are you resting in Him? You've got to ask yourself those questions. Otherwise, I'm just going to preach until I'm brewing the face here, and you're going to go, hey, that's a great sermon, man. No, you need to apply it to your life. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14. He says, As obedient children, not confirming yourself to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. You see, there's two things he addresses. I wonder if you've noticed. What was the first thing he addressed in this passage here? He says, Do not be conformed to this world. Is that right? Do not be conformed to this world. Now he continues on, and he says to them in this passage here, as obedient children, he says, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts. Not conforming yourself to your former lust. But you have to be obedient. Now I want to show you this passage, because there's three things that is against the child of God. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. I want you to see this now. This is Paul again writing to the Ephesians. He says to them, And you he made alive. You were dead, you were a walking man, a walking corpse, because you were dead in your trespasses. But he made you alive. You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the what? You see? According to the course of the world. What did he say to Rome? Do not be conformed to this world. Now, he says the same. He says it to them. He says once, once. When is once? Past. Yes. He says once you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. So there's two things now. The world, Satan. And now he says... According to the prince of the power, the spirit who works into the what? The sons of disobedience. There's only two kinds of sons. It's not South African sons, Australian sons, New Zealand sons, you know, Indian sons. There's only two kinds of sons in the world. Who are they? Obedient 
and disobedient, you, you find in either category. Now he says to them, the sons of disobedience, among whom also, whom also we all once, you see again the word once there, when is that? Past. According, once we were there, but now. Okay, he says, once conducted ourselves in what? The lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind. There's the mind, and we're by nature, nature. Oh, this is difficult to say to Richard and to Veda. That small little boy which I held this morning on my hand, eh? We took some nice photos at the piano. Little Michael. I held Michael up here and I went, eh, it's so beautiful. But you know what the Bible says? That little boy, by nature, is what? He says, children of wrath, just as the others. We need to pray for that little boy. I'm already praying for that little boy for salvation. He said, how innocent, look at him, beautiful. He's born in that nature. We need to learn from this. He says it today. He says obedient. We need to be obedient, not conforming to the former last, as in your ignorance. Now, let me go to a verse in the Bible. You see, I do have my Bible here. And if I get it right, I'll, I'll go to the verse straight away. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 17. Just a verse that popped up in my mind, and I believe the Lord may want me to read it right now. Acts chapter 17. You see, he talks about ignorance, because I hear a lot of people who say, oh, but I didn't know. The police offer catches somebody, and they go, oh, I didn't know. Sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Isn't that right? So we call it ignorance. How many times will he go to court, and people in court will say to the judge, I didn't know. So free, brother, sister, you've got no excuse. Let it be known today. This world has got no excuse. It says it there, as obedient children, not conforming to the former last, as in your ignorance. You say, I did it because I didn't know. Now, the Bible is very clear what it's going to say now in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Let me read it to you. He says, truly, there's again one of those words. <laughs> I'm getting hooked up on the words today, Ben. That's a big theological word, isn't it? Again, once you read the word truly, you need to go before the word truly and read all of that stuff, and then he's going to come down and say, truly. Now, truly what then, uh, Dr. Luke? Because it was him who wrote this, this, this uh, letter. He says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. Wow, you say, well, that's going in my favor now. Isn't it? God's agreeing. He says, well, you were ignorant. I'm going to overlook that. I'm going to give you a pass on that. But that's not where the verse stops. He says, but, now what does that word mean? It's another theological word. Sharp contrast. He says, well, that's fine, I'm overlooking it. But, now commands all men everywhere to repent. Wow. I wish I had that verse up on the board. He says, yeah, that's fine. You, you plead ignorance, but now he commands 
men, and now you've got no excuse anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because you've heard the scripture verse read to you this morning. Everybody in this room has got, and everybody who will listen to this video cast, and everybody who will listen to this over the audio has got no excuse anymore. Why? Because you've heard it now. So what is the but version of that? The version there is, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent means a changing of the mind. Get up the loins of you. You see how wonderful is the word? Is this good teaching or what? From the word. He says it now. Listen. Now why would he say this? He says, because he has appointed a day. A day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Wow. There's a day coming which is going to judge the world and everybody in it and everything that's on your mind. And then he says, by the man. Who's the man? Jesus Christ, the man. Man, he's the man. Jesus is the man. You know what he calls himself? The son of God, the son of man. And here he says, by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by doing what? Raising him from the dead. Who believes Jesus was raised? If you believe that, you better believe that this day is coming of judgment. They are not separated there together. So you need to ask yourself the question. Are you obedient? You say to me, but preacher, um, how do we live this? Let me first say to you, a life of holiness is established on a lifestyle of active obedience. Let me say it again. A lifestyle of holiness is established on a lifestyle of active obedience. You have to obey God. Jesus said this in his own words. In John 14, 21, he says, He who has commandments, he who has my commandments, and do what? And keeps them. What is that keeps them? It means you obey them. He, where is the commandments of God? Where is it? He who has my commandments, the word of God, my commandments, the Bible. Oh, we're not under the law anymore. No, he chose me and I can do whatever I want to do. No, no, no. He who keeps his commandments, obey his commandments. He's calling a life of obedience. Christ himself calls that and keeps them. It is he who loves me. You can cry out how much you love God. You can sing hallelujah, the most beautiful, pure voice. But if you don't keep his commandments, you are disobedient. And what happens? No, it says it right there. He, he, you, you will not have this lifestyle. He says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest himself, myself to him. That's, that's just a, a really easy recipe. So you say now to me, what is it? Give me an example of the former lusts. Let me give you one scripture, and, and the Bible is full of them, by the way. He says, not conforming yourself to the former lusts. I only used Galatians. Again, chapter 5, verse 16, where Paul writes to Galatians, and he says in verse 16, 5, 16, he says, but I say, oh, there is that word again, I say. What, what is Paul saying? Paul, I want to hear what you're saying. He says, somebody else said something, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Walk in the Spirit and you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. It's like this. It's like this. It's grinding. The flesh is pushing and the Spirit is pushing and the flesh is pushing. I've heard this uh, this story once about a man who had two dogs. A white dog and a black dog. And he, he was living in the mountains. And once a week he'd go down into the little township and they would have these dogs fighting each other. I know it's a terrible story. But listen, he had to fight them. And then people would come and put money on it. And he was always right, this man whose dogs it is. They would put money on the black dog and that day the white dog will win. And he'd take all the money. He goes up into the mountains for a week. Disappears, come down the next time. And everybody goes, surely the white dog's going to win. And, and, and they will put money again on the white dog and the black dog will win. And he goes up onto the mountains for a week. He comes back next time. And there they go, gee, you know, what do we do now? Put it on the white dog and the black dog wins. And they guess. And somebody asked him. He said, you've always got it right. You always win the bets. What do you do? He says, well, when I go up that week in the mountain, I want the black dog to win. I don't give him any food for the week. He says, by the time it comes to the fight, he's so hungry he wants to eat the white dog. He says, so next week I go up there and what do I do? He says, I don't give the white dog any food, but I give the black dog a lot. In fact, just before I go down to the fight, I feed him as, as if he just want to fall down, man. And once they fight, the white dog sees him and he sees him as food and he just want to eat him. He says, and this is I know. Now it's a simple story, but this is what it is. If you're going to feed the flesh... The Spirit is not going to be so powerful. If you're going to feed the Spirit, what's going to happen? The Spirit's going to be powerful. Now, now listen to me. I've had a man once, he nearly lost his head by trying to walk in the Spirit. Friend, you can't try to walk in the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? First of all, He gave us the Spirit who lives in us. You believe that by faith. Now. He's got the word as proof for that. It comes after being born again. If you are saved, if you are saved at the cross, He fills you with the Spirit. What happens now? The more I read the word of God and spend time with God, who's getting fed? Come on, tell me. The Spirit. The more you read. Shall I go back to the verse in Philippians when he says, think about sober, think about good things. The more you meditate, the more you talk to God, the more you read the Word. What has been fed? Your Spirit's been fed. Now the world comes with a temptation. And now your Spirit is so... This is how we walk in the Spirit. You are so strong. As soon as you want to go and the temptation is there and you want to conduct yourself into the sin, what comes up in your mind? A Scripture verse. Or the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. Or you know they do it. Who's going to win that one? The Holy Spirit. Come on, this is, so, this is so plain. But if you stop doing this, if you stop spending time with God, if you stop praying, and you're always just in the world, in the world, in the world, when temptation comes now to you, it's just easy as that. Oh, God will understand. I'm only human. Born of flesh and blood. Meant to make mistakes. Is that how God made us? No. That's a songwriter who didn't know God and people follow it like that. Let me hurry on and finish. He says it here. He says, For these two oppose to each other to keep from doing the things you want to do. How many times did you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ. 
and then something happened and it pushes you back. It's, it's a struggle. And now he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's a whole new Testament sermon there. Why? Why? Why not under the law? Who's your law now? Jesus Christ is your law. In Him all the law has been fulfilled. Does it mean that I don't walk under the law anymore? By far, no. Let me ask you, is stealing a sin? Is it? So if I'm under Christ now, I say, I'm not under stealing the law that says you are not allowed to steal, but I'm under Christ now, I'm going to steal. Now in Him, everything is fulfilled. So all the law is still there. We're not free reign. Now he says further on, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now this is what he says, do not go back to the former last, sexual immorality. I don't have to elaborate on this. I think it will be filthy some of the things if I have to elaborate on that. Sexual immorality, impurity. We are living in an impure society. Look around you. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry. What is idolatry? Jeez, my car is more important than God. Could be small things. I worship, wherever my wife walks, I worship her. Your wife can be an idol. Your husband can be, your children can. Watch out. Anything that takes God's place. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. That's a form of lust. What is jealousy? I want it. It's mine. You can't have it. I'm having it. What is that? It's a lust. Let me give you the definition for lust. Lust is to satisfy self at the expense of others. That's what lust is. Jealousy is lust. Now look at this one. Fits of anger. Oh man, I know some people, you've got to be careful what you say. Because if you just say it, if you just say the wrong thing, at the wrong time, in the wrong way, boom! I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. You better listen now because and it goes on and on and on and on. And these people will excommunicate you if they have to. Fits of anger. Come on from nowhere. And then you stand and go, whoa, I, whoa, poof. And you know what a bomb does? It leaves a mess. And others, listen to me, and others always have to clean up behind you when there's a mess. Let me prove it to you. All of these bombs that self, these people who blow themselves up, who's got to clean it up? Come on. Other people need to clean it up. And it's always other people around you hurt more than you with this. Come on, I'm going to be honest to you. Look at this now. He says, fits of anger, Oh, I know some people would like to go to this. I don't like that passage in the Bible. Where is that passage? I've got a fit of anger right now. Where is it? Where is it? There it is. I don't want to out of my Bible. But it's there. And if we want to live the way that he says to us now, to be obedient children, we need to hear this. He says there divisions, uh, uh, revelries, dissensions, divisions. Oh man, people who can make fights amongst groups. Envy. Oh, I like what they've got. I need to have it. Why not me, Lord? Drunkenness is another one of those. Orgies and things like this. I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those, th those who do such things, listen to this now, will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
I, I, I can't say anything more than that. I think the word says it itself. Then finally this morning, look what he says. Remember, first of all, he says, be prepared. Be obedient. You're living in difficult times. Be prepared. Be obedient. And now he's going to say, be holy. Be holy. He says, be holy. Uh, you also be holy in all your conduct because it's written, be holy for I am holy. The word he uses for holy there in the, in, in the New Testament is hagios. And the meaning for hagios means most holy. It also means a saint. It means to be without sin and blameless. Ephesians chapter uh, 1 verse 4, he says, He, he, uh, uh, um, you see, there we go. Praise the Lord. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him. That's what it says. Let me just check. I don't want to misrepresent you or misread you and say, ah, oh, look at that. That, that. He's making up his own Bible. Let me read it to you. See if I've quoted it right. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's what he said. Okay? We are without sin and blameless. It happens at the cross. When you come to the cross, you repent your sin. Let me say, if there's no repentance in coming to Christ, you are but fooling yourself. You have to repent of your sin. Repent is changing my mind. Oh, the things I thought was right, God says it's a sin. I'm changing my mind because I see it through God's eyes now. So this is what it is, that word that he used there. He says, you be hagios in all your conduct because it is written, be hagios for I am Agios. But in fact, he uses that phrase directly, and I want to take you there, out of Leviticus. That is what he quotes. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2. He says, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel. This is God saying. And say to them, you shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. Now, the word that he used there is a Hebrew word. He uses the Hebrew word gadosh. You see that? And what does gadosh mean? It means to be set apart in sacredness. I want to give you an understanding when I say be holy. Some people teach some really strange things around this. And this is why you get some people walking into churches as if they are holy. I'm a holy man. Come touch the ring, brother. I'm holy. I've been here so long, 20 years, man, I'm holy. Some people are preaching that I'm sinless perfection. That's not what this means. If you understand where he's taking it from, he says, hagios, but he uses the phrase in the Old Testament, which he uses the word, be gados, for I am gados, which means his holiness is set apart from the world. He's different from nature. Now he says to you and me, we need to be separated from the world. The word holiness here, if he says to you and me to be holy, it means that we need to be separated from the world. Now listen to me. He did not say that we need to find a little island and build God's zone or God's city where only God's children are separate. No, we are in the world but not of the world. 
We're living in this world. Look, we partake in a lot of things of this world, don't we? We partake in a lot of things in the, of this world. Who of you has got a television at home? We partake in the things of the world. But who can choose what they are looking for? Who can turn it on and off? You've got that. So this is the big thing here, my friends. He says, be holy, be sacred, be set apart in this. In Matthew 5, verse 16, he says, every one of us has got a light that shines in us. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, they see your good works and they glorify the Father in heaven. Some people work for, for this praise. Oh, I'm good. Praise me. Oh, I, I take the glory. No, no, you can't take it. When people see the good work in you, they glorify God. I finish with this last verse this morning. As we think about what Peter said to these people and to you and me. He says, be prepared. How, do I, how are we prepared? Gird up the loins of your mind. We understand that now. Be sober. We understand that now. We rest fully in His grace, who is going to be revealed at the, the coming of the Lord. So we are prepared. Are you prepared? And then He says, be obedient. Be obedient. Put off the former lusts. Don't go back to it like a dog returns to his vomit. Don't go there. And then he says, be holy, be separated. Now, I want to finish with this. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. That's the verse again. Let your light shine so before men. That preparedness that you have, that soberness that you have, that people come to you because you are that reasonable thinker, that you are, people will see this. And, and I'll tell you, what is the thing about light and, and moths? What is it? The light attracts the moth. The light attracts. People will come to you. I give you an example. John the Baptist, down at Betabara, baptizing people. It wasn't because he baptized people that draw the crowds. It is the things he said. It is who he was. The description was given about him. He was, he was clothed like a prophet. That attracted the people, and as soon as they attracted to this man, he started speaking, they were attracted more. The light attracted him. But then he says to them, he says, I'm but merely a man who comes and prepares the way. Behind me comes the one whose shoe I can't, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. But it is he, it is he who will baptize you in fire. Fire is the refining fire. Let your light shine before men, church that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Have we learned something this morning? The Word of God is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your Word. And Father, I wish I can stand here in front of these people and say, Whoa, I'm all there. Everything I've heard this morning, tick, 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 tick. But Lord, I am the first one who's going to going to say this morning that I need your Holy Spirit to help me with this. I can't do this in my own power. Because if I'm going to try to do it in my own power, Lord, you know it will become my efforts and my works, and I will boast about it, and I will be so proud about it. So, Lord, I pray that you help me, Lord. Help these people this morning as you've helped those people to whom Peter was writing this letter. In sometimes difficult situations, help us to be prepared 
to gird up the loins of our minds, to be sober and to rest in your grace. Help us to be obedient, Father. And finally, Lord, help us to be holy.